him. Up next is Cover to Cover. Thanks for listening. host producer Nina Serrano with my Poet to Poet series. Today's guest is the Poet Laureate of San Francisco, Diane DePrima. She is the fourth poet. This program is pre-recorded. It was recorded in 2010. All time-sensitive remarks refer back to that time. Thanks. Devorah Major and Jack Hirschman. The mayor of San Francisco announced her appointment last May. Allen Ginsberg said of Diane De Prima that Diane De Prima, revolutionary activist of the 1960s, beat literary renaissance, heroic in life and politics, a learned, humorous, bohemian, classically educated, and 21st century radical. Her writing, informed by Buddhist equanimity, is exemplary in imagist, political, and mystical modes. A great woman poet in the second half of the American century, she broke the barriers of race-class identity, delivered a major body of verse, brilliant in its particular. End quote. Well, what Ginsburg didn't know is that she would be a major poetic player and activist in the early 21st century. She is the author of over 40 published books. It's a pleasure to have in the KPFA studios today, Diane DePrima. Welcome, Diane DePrima. Thank you very much, Nina. Diane, I wonder if you could tell us a little of your work and what you've been doing since your appointment a little over a year ago as Poet Laureate. Well, my idea of what to do as Poet Laureate, because of the nature of the times and the um, difficult times we're in and everyone seems to be worried and upset and frightened all the time, is to bring forward poetry as a form of celebration, to encourage celebration through song throughout the community. And also I wanted to work with the little kids as much as I could, so I'm I've started a series of workshops in the libraries for after school for children, mostly that in in grammar school. I haven't extended it yet to uh, middle school, but so what poems have you brought to share with us today, Diane De Prima? Well, I thought I'd start by reading the first draft I wrote for to develop my ideas of what I wanted to do as poet laureate. Um, I wrote it for. Um, in the summer, there was an international poetry festival last year in San Francisco, and I wrote it for my reading there, which was my first poet laureate duty. So, first draft, <clears throat> first draft, poet laureate, oath of office, for all poets everywhere. It is the poem I serve, luminous through time. That celebration of human breath, of melos. It is and always has been the music, androgynous and ruthless as any angel, scattering words that need no radio frequency, no broadband. It is the light on the ocean here, the sky in all its moods, luminous fog that wakes me up to write something I call the imp 
of this short poem. It is the people of San Francisco in their beauty. Bright, luminous eyes looking out from homeless faces. Looking up from gardening, skateboarding, singing, playing cards, playing ball, barbecuing in their backyards. The folks in the Mission, the Excelsior, in Bayview, Hunter's Point, Japantown, North Beach, the folks in the Sunset, working, and passionate, angry, silent, powerful in their silence. My friends and neighbors parked at Ocean Beach and Twin Peaks in their cars, watching the sun go down. I watch, I work, I serve them too. My vow is to remind us all to celebrate. There is no time too desperate, no season that is not a season of song. So that was my first thinking about what I thought my duties and so on would be. I like be. that, uh, that you felt your duty was to remind us to celebrate. Yeah, I think that we the uplifting of the world is part of what we have to do. Of course, as activists, we have to always search out what's wrong, but not only look at what's wrong, but what's possible, what could be done. And the power of the imagination that the surrealists were always talking about is so important for that. When I... I want to read the end of the oath that I took on my birthday when we had a ceremony in uh, in a loft that I rented. And um, the oath of office was administered by Ron Turner, one of my uh, publishers. I swore on a collected John Keats, put my hand on it, and the end of that oath was, Every vision is holy. The power of imagination is vast. And poetry guards the old roads and opens new ones. Every day the poem cuts trails into the realms of gold, the alchemical gold of the mind. And um, I thought um, another thing while I'm thinking about the laureate thing, and it induced me to write a lot of stuff, just, just taking it on. Um, there was a wonderful event in, in the mission. There was a wonderful event in the main library, of course, for, to inaugurate me on Feb, in February, February 2nd of this year. So I really took office in February of 2010. Then there was a wonderful event in the Mission Cultural Center where poets welcomed me. It was very, very moving. It was many people that I'd known forever and many people I'd just met that night. I want to read a little of that right now. It's called Some Words About the Poem. And I believe, Nina, you translated it into uh, Spanish. No, I think that was Francisco. Francisco. Ah. Okay. Poetry can bring joy. It can ease grief. It bridges different worlds and myriad cultures. Poetry can bring rain and make the crops grow. It smooths the path for the traveler and brings sleep to the feverish child. Poetry is our heart's cry and our heart's ease. It constantly renews our seeing so we can speak the constantly changing truth. Poets speak truth when no one else can or will. 
That's why the hunger for poetry grows when the world grows dark. When repression grows, when people speak in whispers or not at all, they turn to poetry to find out what's going on. You have just heard Diane DePrima, San Francisco Poet Laureate, reading her original work. Can you read us some more of your poems, Diane? Of course. I I thought I would um, share with you something I read at the library on February 2nd. I wrote it in the mid-90s. I had been thinking about what makes... I've been thinking about the fact that I always thought I had given myself to my art, but actually, in some part of my mind... I had a, I had a deal with poetry. There was something I, I somehow, in some place, expected back from it, although I never admitted it. So I started to look at what that was. What did I want from poetry? So the you in this poem is I'm talking directly to poetry, as if it existed as a person, not necessarily the muse. Poetry, in, its, in itself, poesia. Okay. I want the, it's called the Poetry Deal, which, by the way, is going to be the title of the book, the Poet Laureate, of my book in the Poet Laureate series, the City Lights books puts out, The Poetry Deal. I want to say that I don't want anything but the whisper of your scarf as you do the dance of the seven veils, soft sound of your slippers on the carpet, and the raw, still bloody meat you toss my way that I chew on all night long. I want to say I don't want anything you don't already give me. Trips to other worlds, dimensions of light or sound, rides on the back of a leopard on those black rocks high over some sea or gorge. But it isn't true. I want all that. Sheet lightning of quasars that you dance between. Those colors, yes. But I want you as mother, sister, stone walls of the cave I lie in, in trance for seven days. The mist around my cabin that makes it invisible. I want the flare and counterpoint of words. And I want the nonverbal, what can never be spoken, as a foundation. I'd like my daily bread, however you arrange it, and I'd also like to be bread or sustenance for some others, even after I've left a song they can walk a trail with. I don't think we've talked about money or success or fame, whatever that is, for a long time. I hoped you'd forget that part. Now I'll do as you say about all that, whatever seems most useful. I'd like to keep learning how to brew bitter herbs and how to make them translucent, edible, almost crystalline. What I offered you wasn't much. You can always wake me like my closest friend or most loved lover. You can burn my favorite snapshot of myself. Lead me on paths or non-paths anywhere. You cannot make sense for years, and I'll still believe you. Drop husbands, tribes, and jobs as you wish. You mostly aren't jealous, 
have taken your place alongside gardens, bread making, children, printing presses. But when your eyes shoot sparks and you say, choose between me and it, it has always gone. Except when it was my kids, I took that risk and we worked it out somehow. Now I've come to a place where there are no kids, no tribe, no bread, no garden. Only you in your two faces, formed and formless. Nothing to hold back now and nothing to offer. I stand before you a piece of wind with a notebook and pen. Which one of us is it? dances and which is the quasar that, that's the poetry deal what a remarkable deal it's an interesting it's, deal it's, it's something I've never thought of before but of course every poet has made a deal with poetry I think mostly we don't think about it and we don't admit it when if we do my students are shocked when I ask them to think about what's the deal you've made with your art what do you expect from it yeah, what a remarkable poem. Thank and you, you probably could only have written it at this moment in your life yeah. also. Yeah, I, I wrote it in 93, but yeah, late. It had to be late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is not a useful poem. No, I started writing, I mean, my first book came out in 58. I started writing seriously when I was 14, so in 1948, but dropped everything else for it by 53 when I dropped out of college, so... Yeah, it took 50 years to write that song. So that was quite a deal you made with poetry. Years, yeah. 40 years. Yes. yes. Please read us um, this poem. Okay, I thought um, having established that business about being a poet laureate and also what my deal with it is, I thought maybe I'd share a little new work. And there's two ongoing series that I'm working all the time. That is to say these poems never stop. One is the Revolutionary Letters, which used to be that every time a new edition came out, all the new poems would be added from the, la from the last time. The first revolutionary letters were in 68, I think, 67. And they were written to be read off the back of a truck in Spanish Harlem and the, the Lower East Side and everywhere we could get to. We had a, a portable generator and amplifiers. So they were performance pieces. And this one I wrote, um, was it two weeks ago, that there was a, uh, a benefit for uh, Haiti. It started out to be for, and then it was for Haiti and Chile. Chile. And then it was for Haiti, Chile, and Tibet. And we could have added the Gulf by that time. So yeah, we had weeks of disaster after disaster. Yeah, I don't think it's going to stop. So I wrote that this today that... I had no idea that I wanted to write a new thing, but I finished my morning meditation with my partner. We both sit together in the morning and went to my room and said, I think I'll be writing a little while, and I shut the door. And two and a half hours later, I emerged with this and went to the computer and typed it up. And it was done by 1.30, so 10.30 to 1.30, and then read it that evening. Haiti, Chile, Tibet. Let's stop for a moment to remember what we are. A handful of tribes on a rather small rock where water streams over arable earth into large living waters 
we call ocean. A rock that has clothed itself in an ocean of air. And we walk on that ocean floor and look out at a vast soup of consciousness we call empty space. And all is not well with our rock. It might even come apart. Could be it will soon be another asteroid belt or meteors, just a bunch of meteors. While our rock is shaking and water pours from the skies and the winds have turned demonic, could be it's time. Maybe it's really time to rewrite the social contract or at least change the rules that apply to catastrophe. And that might soon be every day. There are lots of us and we are swarming like bees. Social contract, just a few suggestions. One, all hands on deck means just that. It's a really small boat. Two, anyone bringing help anywhere it's needed, bringing water, food, blankets, medicine, is welcome, obviously. Don't ask where they're from. Just say thank you. And we'd better learn to say thank you in hundreds of languages. Three, all borders disappear in catastrophe. They are stupid and irrelevant anyway. Four, there is no such thing as looting in a disaster. Think about it. After Katrina, after Rita, all the others, after the quakes in Chile, Haiti, Kobe, Managua, look back a bit. Can you call it looting when anyone breaks plate glass, comes out with food and water, medicine, camping supplies, whatever? Is that looting or just plain sanity? Keeping your family, keeping each other alive? Five. There is no place for police or army in tragedy, except as facilitators, distributors. Unarmed, they should walk the streets, bringing food, putting out fires, digging people out, rescuing those stranded on rooftops or bridges fleeing the waters. They should be digging latrines, putting up shelters, helping families find each other. Six, every building still intact should open its doors to everyone. What else are guest rooms for? Whoever comes to your door should be taken in. I learned when I was four. She's your guest. Should be given the best of what you've got. Even if you thought she had been your enemy. Nothing special there. It's a universal law, law, and it's why we're still around at all as a species. Think about it. 
Seven, give up confusing your property with your life. Give up confusing your property with your life. This will save a lot of problems. Stuff comes and goes. And holding on is like holding back a river with your hands. Eight. Stop asking what others believe or where they're from. Just look in their eyes and see we are the same. They are the same as your most beloved, be it your child, your lover, your pet. No child is hungry anywhere who is not your grandchild. How long will you let her wait? No child is orphaned who is not your son. And what will it take to make us remember our own? You just heard Diane DePrima, San Francisco Poet Laureate, reading her original work here on KPFA. Thank you so much, Diane. You're very welcome. I enjoyed it very much. Well, we have time for a few more poems. Did you have some new work you wanted to share? Oh, yeah, sure. Of course. (laughs) Of course. I I have to tell you, Nina, that right now poems are happening faster than I can keep up with them. You mean you write them by hand and then you have to make time to also get them up on the computer? Oh, yeah. I have never written. I've written prose on the computer, but I I can't. Somehow it's never... It doesn't work for me. It comes from the... The heart to the shoulder, down the hand, into the ink. (laughs) I've been writing, the other thing I've been writing for a very long time, there's a series, a serial poem, not not like um, Cream of Wheat, (laughs) serial like a series poem, Um, is Loba, and it came out in 78, and then in 98 it came out, but it was twice as long, there was a whole book too. And since then, of course, it's been happening and happening. That's one of your most famous books at uh, the poetry reading at the Mission Cultural Center in February. Lorna de Cervantes got up and spoke about that mm. book and read her poem about your about book. Poems, Loba. Yeah. yeah. So a couple of years ago, there was a period where for a couple of, um, oh, I don't know, two months, month and a half, uh, middle of, I mean, the end of July to the middle of September. It was happening so fast. And I never try to make I never try to make poems happen. I wait till as I say it, I wait till Loba visits. And when she visits it's the wolf, she visits. And she's not easy. She's not, she doesn't care how old your body is. She still wants you to do the work. All of it. So this whole section that happens, some ways later, I'll talk about that at this time, but it happened, a whole chunk of it happened in two nights. One was August 11th, one was August 26th, and um, I'll read a part of the long, early ones, and then I'd like to read a couple of short ones, but I won't read the whole one of these. This whole section is now being called Loba Desesperada, uh, the Loba Desperate. And she's always been fierce and warrior, never desperate before. So that shocked me. Here, at the dead end of this final canyon, have we at last outwitted death? This black hole, no water, 
only sheer rock opening to a V of sky where the sun will find us strike and strike again like a grim mother Medea of the stars oh mother was it for this I flew headlong lamp of Orion like a miner's cap at my brow while I chipped and chipped at stone walls through the night and that lost caravan of sleeping gypsies my friends turned to pointless dust turned to so much sand no harvest just silence melting to song no final flight to the edge of open space only this cul-de-sac blacker than any night blacker than jet or onyx where emptiness of emptiness shows her teeth and at last we love her and this in this black rock canyon lost waterhole we wait for the sun to suck the juice from us leave nails and hair leave geometric bones on shivering ground to sifting darkness out of the night like grains of black sand from a midnight storm frightens me to think that that happened two weeks before Katrina. Just scares me when I think about it. <laughs> uh, artists are antennae. We probably have time for a final poem. Okay, I'll read uh, two very short ones from this same section. <clears throat> Cast at a late age from the realm of song like a small fish stranded on the sand while the sun drinks color from her scales. And the last one I'd like to end was a very short poem about Loba. It came shortly after this section. Don't look for her only out of the corner of your eye. Sometimes she comes straight on. Thank you, Diane DePrima. You've just been listening to Poet Laureate Diane DePrima, Poet Laureate of San Francisco, reading from her own work. Thank you so much, Diane, for taking time out of your busy schedule to share your wonderful poems with our KPFA audience, Poet Laureate of San Francisco. And can I say that if anyone wants to get in touch with me to be on a mailing list for events or workshops, they can email me at www.ddprima. That's my first initial and my last name, D-D-I-P-R-I-M-A, at earthlink.net. Thanks.
This is Nina Serrano of KPFA's La Raza Chronicles, wanting you to know that the first Latino winner of the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction novelist Oscar Juelos will soon appear with me in Berkeley. Oscar is the author of the Mambo King's play Songs of Love and many other literary explorations of what it is to be an immigrant in the United States. We'll talk about his new memoir, Thoughts Without Cigarettes, at La Peña on Friday evening, June 17th at 7.30. This is a benefit for KPFA in La Peña, wheelchair access. Advanced tickets are $12 at independent bookstores at La Peña or online through brownpapertickets.com. For full information, look on KPFA and La Peña websites. The event is Friday evening, June 17th at 7.30 at La Peña in Berkeley. Sunny day. 